Good evening, family. So good to see you. A warm welcome to our visitors. We're very blessed by your presence, and we hope to be a blessing for you as well. I have a question for you this evening. And the question is, have you ever lost anything? You ever know what it's like to feel that you, when you've lost something? I want to tell you about two experiences I've had. And the first, I was young and single, and um, I was in college, and I traded in my college textbooks. And I got $40 from the college bookstore. And they didn't have um, the, the proper bills, so they gave me 41s. Okay, so 41s would not fit in my wallet, okay? And they gave it to me in an envelope. So then I went out with that big $40, to me it was a lot of money then, and went into, short, uh, into a store to shop and uh, promptly didn't buy anything and forgot my envelope and left it in the store and was driving down the road and remembered, oh, I don't have my, my envelope with all those ones in it. Went back to the store, Asked people, searched frantically, never found the money. So I lost the money. So I was a heartbroken young man at the time. Another instance was more serious. And, and dads, I think you can identify with this. This was when um, my Mary was, was in a little carrier basket. And we were going to church Wednesday night. And we were running just a tad late. We, we, we were, it was one of those where you walk in the door right as service starts, the Bible class. And um, I put Mary's um, in the, the car, put my Bible on top of the car, had everything, all the children, Mark and Mary, they're in the car, they're good to go. And drive down the road, driving down the road, I don't have my Bible. And it was on, I left it on the roof of the car. So I had to go back, trace my steps, very panicky because my Bible, see I, I write in my Bible. I'm not the, the sharpest mind or I don't have the best memory. So when I, when I come upon a verse and it reminds me of another verse, I will write in my Bible to connect those two verses. So my Bible is, is written up. It's big time written up. And I had well over a decade's worth of notes in this Bible. It's more like 15 years worth of notes. And it was like I'd lost a family member as I'm frantically looking for my Bible. So we found it at the first turn, where the car turned, the Bible went straight, and I turned. Okay, And this is a, a, a recommendation, get a cover for your Bible, because my cover was beaten and withered, but the Bible inside was good to go. So thank God for that. So in one instance, I'd lost what I was looking for, and the other instance, I found what I was looking for. Tonight, let's take a look at a story that we can find in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Luke, about someone who lost what he had. And that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke chapter 15. And we're going to look at the story, the parable of the lost sheep. And we'll start reading in verse 1, but before I begin with that, a parable. I want to talk about a parable for a minute. A parable is a short story. It has a moral, and the characters in it are often their symbols, not usually real characters. A parable, the word, the term, comes from two words. It means para, which is, means alongside, 
and bole, which, which means cast down. So cast down alongside. And I don't know about you, but that always makes me think of train tracks, where you have two tracks that are cast down alongside each other. And that's kind of what you have in a parable. You have two tracks, and one is physical and one is spiritual. Or you could look at it as one is earthly and one is heavenly. And the heavenly is the meaning, the real deeper meaning of the parable. So with that in mind, let's start reading from verse 1. Luke writes, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him, that is Jesus. And I want to stop there for just a moment and talk about sinners. When the Bible talks about sinners, you think, okay, that's someone who sins. Because after all, a farmer is someone who farms, a swimmer is someone who swims, a baker, you get the idea. That's, that's very simple and straightforward. But the Bible has terms that uh, get their meaning from their usage. And the idea here is not someone who sins, because we're, we have all sinned. When the Bible talks about saints and sinners, when it uses the term sinners, it's talking about someone who does not have a relationship with God. Someone who is cast off from God, who is separate and apart from God. No relationship, they are strangers. So it doesn't just mean someone who sinned, it means someone without a relationship with God. So the tax collectors were, they were right in the company of sinners because they were looked on as traitors by the Jews. But the Pharisees, that is the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And I think that's really interesting that there's more rejoicing over the one than the 99. And, and the question here, it's a big question, it's short, short, you know, three letters, but it's a big question. And that question is, why? And I encourage you when you're reading your Bible to not be shy about asking that question, why? Now, the catch is, is that the Bible is not always going to answer your question. It's not always going to tell you why. It's not always going to be obvious. And sometimes the only answer is God only knows, as the saying goes. And you're never going to find out. But asking why can lead to some really neat Bible studies. It will help you to push yourself to open up the Bible to look for it. So I always encourage you to ask yourself why. Why is there more rejoicing over one than 99? You'd think the rejoicing would be over the 99. Isn't 99 more important than one after all? So I'll give you my take. I'll give you my view of the matter. Because you're upset to lose what was yours. Because you're so happy to find what you lost. When I found my Bible that I'd lost, I was so happy. I had rejoiced. 
You think about that because it's the same way with God. You see, in the story here, the shepherd owned the sheep. He searched for the lost sheep and he found the lost sheep. Likewise, Jesus owns us, as in he owns all of mankind. He searches for those who were lost, and he finds those who were lost. And we're going to look at a, a short series of single verses to show this. We're going to start off with Jesus owns us. Let's turn to the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and Ezekiel. And if you go to Ezekiel, flip back to Jeremiah. We're going to look at chapter 32. And again, we're going to stay in this area of the Bible. We're going to just look at single verses here. The situation in Jeremiah 32, we're going to look at verse 26, is that Jeremiah is a prophet of God. Israel, the, the Jerusalem, rather, is under siege by a Gentile king. That's the, he's attacking the city of Jerusalem. They have the walls built up, and they're, they want to come in and, and loot and pillage the holy city. And Jeremiah prays to God concerning this horrible, horrible issue, this, this crisis at hand. And in verse 26 of chapter 32, Jeremiah writes, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after his prayer. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Imagine that. Imagine saying that. You say, is anything too hard for me? Because if I say, is anything too hard for me? It's a great big long list. Because there's a whole lot of things that are way too hard for me. But God says, is anything too hard for me? And the list is zilt. Zero. Nothing is too hard for God. And I emphasize this because in Israel's thinking, and in fact the nations of that time, each one of them had their God, their, their home God, if you will. It's kind of like sports teams. Each one had their home sports team. There's the Baltimore Ravens and the Washington Redskins, so on. Well, they each had their home God. And the idea was that their God, well, his, his uh, rulership ended at the border of each nation. So there was a common thought that God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his, his uh, rulership ended at the borders of Israel. And that's not the case. His rulership has no borders. His rulership extends forever without borders. And he's saying, I am the God, not of just the Jews, but of the Gentiles, of all mankind. And the idea is not only that he rules, but that he owns. He is the creator who created us. He owns us and he rules over us. He is the God of all mankind. He owns us. Now let's see where we got lost. So let's turn over a few books to the left to Ecclesiastes. And we'll look at the seventh chapter of Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Songs of Solomon. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, one verse, we're going to read verse 29, where Solomon writes, This only have I found, God made mankind upright, but men have gone in search of many schemes. See, God owns us, 
And he made us, and not only he didn't make us defective, he made us upright, he made us good, he made us in his own image. We were good, we, everybody started off good, on the good foot, if you will, in life, when we entered this world. But then we went astray. So let's turn back over to the book right before Jeremiah, Isaiah. And in Isaiah 53, which is a very famous chapter, it is one of four songs in the book of Isaiah that talks about a servant, a suffering servant, who is Jesus. And in Isaiah 53, in verse 6, we read, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we see that God owns all of mankind, and yet we all, we started off good. We started off upright, and then we all went astray like sheep. We all became lost. Now here's the good passage. Let's turn this time to the New Testament, back to the Gospel of Luke. Because here we're going to see that Jesus searches for us. He, just, he doesn't just say, oh, I lost something. Oh, well, I got some more back here. He cares about each and every one of us. So when we turn to Luke, chapter 19, Matthew, Mark, Luke, we're going to see about someone that's uh, maybe not the most significant person, and yet Jesus cares about him too. So in Luke, chapter 19, starting in verse 1, we're going to read about Zacchaeus. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, which meant that he was not fondly looked upon as a Jew by the Jews. He was looked upon as a traitor and was wealthy because it was common for tax collectors to take a little bit extra while they were collecting the taxes. So they were not only viewed as traitors, they were viewed as thieves. It was a common practice and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Some might say he was a wee little man, if you remember the children's Bible song. I love that. That's how I remember the story. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Do you hear that, that, that sentence over and over again, that idea, that term sinner, and how much the Jews looked down on those people? A sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. Wow, that's a pretty good deed, isn't it? If you're wealthy, you're willing to give half of what you have right now to the Lord, to the church? And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back, what, 10%, 20%? Four times the amount. I will pay him back four times the amount. This is someone who who has decided to do good, that really wants to do what's honest and upright and good. 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. That is, he is a Jew. He is part of Abraham's promise. And here's the point of this, this story here. For the Son of Man, that is Jesus, that's Jesus referring to himself, came to seek and to save what was lost. Zacchaeus was lost. And Jesus didn't set him aside and say, oh, well, I got others. He came to seek and save what was lost. <sighs> to Christians, I want to remind you, Jesus has found you, just like he did Zacchaeus. You were once lost. He searched for you, and he found you. To anyone who is not a Christian, I'd say the same thing, that Jesus finds you, just like he did Zacchaeus. But, but, Zacchaeus had to welcome Jesus. Recall verse 6. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. You see, not everybody welcomes Jesus, even though he searches for the lost. That's for everybody. Not everybody welcomes him. Turn with me in the same Gospel of Luke to chapter 8. And we're going to read a very impressive story in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26, and we're going to see a very important principle at the end of this event. It is the healing of a demon-possessed man and what happens to those demons. In Luke 8, verse 26, Luke writes, They sailed to the region of the Gergesenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice. Can you imagine this scene? This person is shouting at the top of their voice, living in tombs. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. The demon recognizes who he's talking to. He recognizes that it is Jesus, the Son of God. And he recognizes his fate to be. For Jesus had commanded the evil or unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he's got his hands, his feet chained, and guards are there. He had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. See, today there's people that like to claim exorcism and such, such like, but they don't do supernatural things like break chains. Okay, so this was a real case, not a Hollywood case of, of uh, possession. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. What a scene. 
Can you imagine watching a herd of pigs rushing into the lake and drowning? Just because a man said, go. But of course, he is more than a man. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, in other words, <laughs> that's their livestock. That's, that's the business going down the drain right there. They ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed, and in his right mind. It's like, whoa, is this the same guy? And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Here's the point. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes, it says all the people of that area, asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. They asked God to go away. Think about that. He'd just done something amazing that only God could do. Cast out a demon, cure a poor demon-possessed man, and they asked him to go away. So he got into the boat and left. Jesus doesn't stick around where he's not wanted. He's like you and I in that regard. The people that don't want Jesus, sadly, they don't have Jesus. They did not welcome him as Zacchaeus welcomed him. So the question tonight is, will you welcome Jesus? Will you welcome Jesus into your heart, into your life, into your very essence, your soul? Everyone's saved the same way. Our last passage tonight is Acts chapter 2. Let's turn there, if you will, please. In Acts chapter 2, where Peter is talking, in verse 36, he is talking to the, the Jews assembled for the holy day, the holy festival of Passover, of Pentecost, excuse me. And he says in verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And what we get from this is that we can be sure that Jesus Christ is Lord. We can be very utmost assured of this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were in anguish. They were saddened. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Such, a, such an important question. Peter replied, Repent, that is, to change your minds, to turn from your ways to God's ways. And be baptized, that is, to be dipped, to be immersed, to be washed. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for, and this is the reason why, the forgiveness of your sins. The forgiveness of your sins, to be washed and to be clean. That is the way everybody here has been saved, and everybody will be saved until the end of time. Just like you, God hates to lose what is his. And to anyone who's not a Christian, we invite you to come forward, because God would hate to lose you. So please come forward now while we stand and sing.